Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Raider Nation. Welcome to the Believe in Raiders podcast from the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Dennis Ackerman. Please be joined by former Raider great Stanford Rap Stanford. The Raiders coming off a win over the New England Patriots in one of the most wild, bizarre endings I think we have ever seen. I mean, so many of those games, it seems, have always gone against yeah. the Raiders, but they somehow beat the Patriots 30-24 to on the final play of the game. So, Stan, let me ask you this. Where does the end of the Pats game rank for you in terms of the most bizarre, even the most dumbest plays that you have ever seen from a team? Oh, wow. Um I'd probably say that's that definitely it, it's definitely up there as far as most boneheaded or ill-advised plays that you would ever see in not NFL history, just in football history. Uh, and you just don't see a Bill Belichick coach team do something like that. That's probably what is the most alarming or surprising. It's just that you would expect that from maybe even the Raiders right? or, you know, the Jaguars or a team that is just perennially inept. But whenever it's the New England Patriots, you think of it, them as being a buttoned-up franchise. So you definitely don't think of that uh, from uh, from that organization. But, yeah, it's definitely one of the dumbest uh, moves or decisions that you ever see a, uh, a team make in, uh, in, in that situation. Yeah, Stan, there's three seconds left. I figured, okay, they, they run the ball. And yeah. then I think it was Stevenson, the running back, he picked up yep. a nice yardage, but then he laterals it. And I'm like, what are you doing? You're going to overtime. The clock is at exactly. zeros. And then when Myers started running backwards towards the original line of scrimmage and then he threw it, I was like, man, New England better be careful. They're they're set for overtime. And then what Chandler Jones got us to how about the stiff arm on Mac Jones? I mean, he just oh, put Mac Jones into the ground. Rest in peace, Mac Jones. Yeah, you know, um, for one, Chandler Jones, you can clearly tell he has running back, fullback, you know, background in his high school, middle school days, number one. But also, number two, uh, we all know that he was traded to the Arizona Cardinals because New England didn't want to pay him. Uh, so, obviously, that was probably a great moment for him uh, when you think about it figuratively and literally stiff-arming the New England Patriots to a victory, in route to a victory. So, definitely a big play for him. But, yeah, uh, to your point, Jacoby Myers, you see that whenever you're down. And you're trying right. to win on the final play, right. but not when it's a tie game. No, not at all. How much more did that victory mean to Josh McDaniels? The one that, that the Raiders got the victory, a much needed victory to keep their faint playoff hopes alive. But at the same time, just beating his former boss, Bill Belichick, and the way the Raiders yeah. actually won that game. <clears throat> oh, yeah, definitely. Um, definitely a great moment for Josh McDaniels. Uh, I think that when you look at how Kirby Smart, when he beat, Nick Saban in the national championship game, that moment where they shake hands at the end of the game. Anytime the 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 apprentice is actually outpacing 
you know, the mentor, that's something that's always very big. So, yeah, Josh McDaniels, he definitely loved that moment, being able to get a victory against his former mentor and probably still current mentor in many ways, Bill Belichick. All right, Stan, before we break down more of the Patriot game, let's momentarily look ahead to the game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Raiders, two-and-a-half-point underdogs. And basketball is back, and Stan, my Warriors are not good. Your Spurs are not good. But no. anyway, Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports and events. Whether that's the NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, or even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. All right, Stan, well, look, at none of what, what took place would have happened if the Raiders' offense didn't finally wake up on that final drive. The Raiders tied it up on a touchdown pass from Derek Carr to Keelan Cole. Stan, at first glance, he appeared to get both feet inbounds, and then the end zone replay appeared to confirm it, but then the overhead replay appeared to show that perhaps he only got one foot inbounds. What did you see? Oh, yeah, I think that uh, you already know. Whenever it comes to instant replay, it's all about what was the call on the field. And that because whatever the call on the field is, they have to have conclusive evidence to overturn it. So that's why getting the call in your favor on the field is imperative because I believe it was truly a situation where unless you're actually down there with a magnifying glass with the, the blade of grass versus the black versus the white line, I think it's I think it's too close to tell to be able to truly definitively get all the way down to the nooks and crannies. So from a DB standpoint, you want that to be out. But obviously, as a former Raider, as somebody who loves the Raiders, I'm so glad that uh, they called it in. Yes, Dan, I think if that pass was called incomplete, I don't think there would have been enough evidence to yeah. overturn it to exactly. a touchdown. And so I think, like you just said, I think that's why it, it, uh, it stood. Uh, the Raiders eventually tied the game uh, and won it on the last play. But, Sam, the Raiders' offense the last couple of games, particularly in the second half, they've really sputtered. Uh, a combined yep. 10 points. Dan, and I also went back and I looked at the Raiders' offensive production from other games in which they blew, you know, those double-digit leads. I'm talking about the Cardinals, Jags, Chiefs, and Rams. Stan, once the Raiders established big leads in those games, like 17 to nothing, 20 to nothing, 16-3, Stan, they were outscored 118. 118. So let me ask you this. Is it a trend in which they get these big leagues and then Josh McDaniels is playing not to lose instead of to win? Or is it, or is it a lack of adjustment by McDaniel's, I, or is it a combination of both? I think it's the combination of probably everything. Because when you look at the game on Sunday, they were up seventeen to three against the New England Patriots. So to me, I think that as an offensive coordinator, as an offensive play caller, you still have to be able to be aggressive within your play calling. Obviously, maybe slow the game down. Tell your quarterback don't snap the ball within about anything more than four seconds left on the play clock, things like that. I think on the defensive side of the ball, that's where it really comes down to the nitty gritty. And I say that because we all know the weakest part of the Raiders defense is what? The defense. The, the secondary. The so secondary, if you get specific, whenever, sure. So if we got a 20-point lead, they got to go to the air to get back in the game. 
that's the weakest part of our defense. So I think that's where, as a defensive coordinator, now you got to be able to outsmart the offensive coordinator. You got to be able to make those adjustments. You got to be able to anticipate, okay, they're now going to the air. Let's run some cover too. Let's go ahead and now get deep in our drops. Make this quarterback have to go a long 10 play drive, 80 yards all the way to a score. Do not give up the big chunk plays because we're up by 20. So if they have to go 80 yard drive through 10 to 12 plays, three different times for them to go ahead and break down this lead, by that time, they're not going to have anything left on the clock. So I think that's where you have to be able to be cognizant of the situation and be able to understand situational football, which is really all it's about when you're in college or the NFL. So that to me, it's a totality issue. Offensively can be better. Defensively, I'm sorry, if you have a lead, you cannot give that up. That's not something that you're taught on any level. So if you can get a lead as a defensive player, if you're able to play well enough to get a lead, you got to be able to play well enough to keep it. Dan, you hit on something I wanted to bring up, and you talked about adjustments. So let me ask you this. NFL halftime is is 12 minutes. I know in college it's a little bit longer. Realistically, how many adjustments can you make in a 12-minute period at halftime? I think you can probably make a couple uh, because usually you'll have D-line will break up, linebackers, DBs. So everybody can be making their specific adjustment for their position group all at the same time simultaneously. So then you'll come together, or should I say – You'll start off as a defense, then you'll break up. That's when you can go ahead and make your adjustments in. Even going before everybody's in the locker room at halftime, the coaches will meet amongst themselves for about maybe two to three minutes, and they'll discuss, okay, uh, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go ahead and slant the front and the back end. I want my I want my field safety to be inside of number two instead of outside of number two. I want the corner to go ahead and get a little bit more depth because their receiver has a little bit of speed to him. We want to make sure he doesn't get on top of the defense, things like that. So you can make adjustments at halftime, but you have to be willing to do that. And that right there shows, it's indicative that you have seen the Raiders lack in that area of making adjustments all this year and they simply were able to go ahead and overcome that this past weekend but you're up 17 to 3 i know you're playing bill belichick i know you're playing the new england patriots they don't got tom brady no more they should not be coming back from 17 3 down okay stan with that being said in-game adjustments how difficult are they realistically how many can you do maybe in a half i think in a half you probably can do about three or four different adjustments oh you can yeah, if you have players that obviously know football, which you wouldn't be on this level if you didn't know football, I think to me it really comes down to coaching and it really comes down to the willingness to make the adjustments because a lot of times you'll have certain coaches there, they're stubborn within their belief where, okay, it's not that my it's not my system, it's not my play calling. It said, you know what, that player's not doing it right. He's the one messing it up, even though you're steadily getting gashed on the football field for big plays. So I think that's where humility has to come in for a coach because even if you truly believe in your scheme, if you have players that are not able to fit your scheme, you need to now tailor your scheme to your personnel. Once you get to the offseason, now you draft, you sign, you trade for players that fit your scheme. But right now in the season, you have to curb more to their personnel or their skill set rather than be rigid and think that everybody needs to be able to fit the way that you want to call the defense. All right, FYI, the Raiders are now 4-7 and seven in one score game after Sunday's victory over the Patriots. Stan, I got a little trivia for you. You ready? 
Oh, there we go. <laughs> you know, I like my trivia. All right, before last Sunday's game, do you know the last time a team scored a game-winning touchdown on a fumble recovery? Uh, no, I do not. I'm not even going to fake it. Stan, hold on. I'm, I'm, okay, I'm going to give you a hint. It's Raiders. Oh, um, that's not even a big enough hint. <laughs> uh, I would imagine that has – I would imagine – It's a famous play, Stan. A famous play. Um, <laughs> and you're saying this is on a fumble recovery, not an interception. Yep. yep, fumble recovery. Famous play. A famous play. Before you were born. And I was just about to say that. Uh, like, whatever this is, I'm, a, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's before I became a Raider just yes. because I can't remember it in recent history. So this is before I was born. Yeah, I started really paying attention to football in the 90s. I know a little bit about the 70s and the 80s, but I don't I'm not as full I'm not as much of a historian as I know I should be. So I'm just going to go ahead and say DA I do not know. Okay. It was the Raiders and it happened in 1978. Dave Casper in the Holy Roller game against the San Diego Chargers in San Diego. I think I may vaguely Stabler on the last play Stabler went back to pass. He got hit. He fumbled it forward. Pete Banizak then pretended he was trying to scoop it up. He kicked it forward. And then <laughs> Dave Casper, about the five-yard line, started kind of, you know, scooting the ball towards the end zone. He was kicking it a little bit, fell on it. The refs all looked at each other, raised their hands, touched <laughs> down. The Raiders kicked the extra point, won 21 to 20. Wow. I, I think I – now that you describe it, I think I vaguely remember seeing maybe that old-school video – uh, from like uh, back when I was a Raider, whenever they would show those uh, those highlights. Yes. yes, I'm sure you're familiar with it, and I'm sure a lot of Raider fans as well. All right, let's move on now to Saturday's game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Friday is the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception, and I'm sure every Raider yeah. fan is familiar with it. If you haven't, just yeah. turn on the NFL Network. They've been promoting it nonstop for about the past two weeks. Oh, the anniversary did take a somber uh, tone with the passing of Hall of Fame running back Franco Harris. He died in his sleep earlier this week at the age of 72. Stan, I think you can make the case that the Raiders-Steelers rivalry was arguably the greatest rivalry in the 1970s, and it seemed Franco oh, yes. always had a best, his best games against the Silver and Black. Our condolences certainly with the Harris family and the Steelers organization. Now, Stan, back in the 70s, football was so much different. The mm -hmm. running backs were the focal point of the offense. And Franco, I mean, I think he played for 11 years, Hall of Famer. I mean, he was the NFL's third all-time leading rusher. When he retired uh, in the early 70s, and he, he was just fantastic. He really wasn't. I think they're going to finally retire his uniform number yeah. as well. The Steelers are kind of like the Raiders. They just don't retire jersey numbers. I, I was unaware of that. I just assume him and Bradshaw <coughs> and all those Hall of Famers were retired, but no, they weren't. Um, did you ever have a chance to, to, to meet Franco or know much no. about him? No, no, I didn't have a chance to meet him, but obviously I know a lot about him because growing up, my father used to always tell me about this running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers called Franco Harris. And it's so crazy because the way that my dad would pronounce his name, obviously Franco Harris, I used to always think that his name was Frank, last name O. Harris. Oh, and so, okay. <laughs> uh, and so I, I probably was maybe 20 or 21 before I knew that his name was Franco and not Frank. Um, so, you know, I always remember that play, you know, the immaculate reception, like what you just talked about. And, you know, with the Pittsburgh Steelers, they used to play at Three Rivers Stadium, mm -hmm. you know, way back uh, way back in the day. And, you know, it was AstroTurf, you yep. know, all of that. So, no, I, I always remember that. Franco Harris, you know, big bruising running back. And, uh, you know, just something that uh, 
obviously the NFL world took a great hit, you know, and I think that um, it's always interesting when you see these great players, these Hall of Famers, you know, whenever they pass, uh, you know, just all the memories start falling back, you know, but I tell you this, uh, DA, I, I'd be remiss if I went, if I was to not also go ahead and mention Ronnie Hillman, mm-hmm. uh, who passed earlier today, um, won a Super Bowl championship with the Denver Broncos, Super Bowl 50, two running backs, uh, down at a young age, I think he was 31 years old. He was 31, old, yes. Died, died of cancer. So, yes. you know, that that's two running backs. That's two players that this fraternity has lost uh, this past week. But, you know, to get back to the original question of Franco Carrots, no, I um never had a chance to meet them or anything like that, but very, very well versed on uh, everything that he did for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, did you play against Ronnie Hillman? No, no, I did not. But okay. obviously, I, I, but obviously, I, you know, knew all about him. Watched him play, uh, and obviously, Super Bowl champion, winning that uh that title in 2015 with the uh, Denver Broncos. C.J. Anderson, Ed Manning, right. Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders. I can go all the way down the list. Well, Stan, uh, the weather forecast in Pittsburgh on Saturday not good. Five below. Uh, with the projected wind chill. Now, Steeler quarterback Kenny Pickett, he's cleared, he's cleared concussion protocol. He's going to get the start. He's gone four and five at the team's number one quarterback, nearly 1,800 passing yards, four touchdowns. He has thrown eight picks. Stan, the weather's cold. I don't know how easy it is to throw the football in that kind of weather. Uh, how would you attack uh, this rookie quarterback out of Pitt? Oh, I would make sure that I confuse him every play. I would never give him the same look twice. I'm going to blitz him from up the middle. I want to make him get outside the pocket. I want to have him uncomfortable. But nevertheless, he is going to always see movement. My safeties are going to be rocking and rolling. My linebackers are going to be dropping into coverage. Some of them may be blitzing off the edge. I may bring the safety out from the middle of the field and have him go ahead and blitz as well. I'm going to confuse him in every conceivable way. I'm not going to give him an easy look where he automatically can predetermine where he's going to go with the football. I got to pressure him. But most importantly, I have to disguise because we all know he's a rookie. So just off of that alone, he has not seen everything that this league can throw at him. I got to make sure that I continue to throw different things at him, keep him confused all day long. Stan, have you ever played in cold and weather that cold? Oh, uh, I don't think I've ever played in five below like what you just said, but I played in Green Bay in mid-December. I played in Kansas City. I played in Pittsburgh. I believe it was in November. Um, played in Baltimore. Played in Buffalo. Played in those cold states. Played in those cold stadiums. I would say to me, the coldest game I ever played in was probably Cleveland. It okay. was right around Christmas time, two thousand and nine. Matter of fact, it's the only game I ever got uh, I ever got ejected from. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa! Remember- okay, stop right there. What'd you get ejected for? <laughs> Come on, now you can't just glaze okay. over that. Okay, listen. <laughs> so earlier that season, something I some, I I jammed my thumb. I forget how I did. It was on a play or something like that. So I had a cast on it. And so I really couldn't grip anything. So I remember that game, I came out the tunnel. It was 32 degrees of kickoff. But anybody that knows anything about Cleveland Stadium, you could jump from the stadium into Lake Erie. Right. And something about that Canadian air, something about that air coming off of Lake Erie, like it was 32 degrees of kickoff, but it felt so much colder. And so as we get to the game, it was chippy already. There was already, I think, a few, you know, skirmishes, a few scuffles early on. And Chauncey Stuckey uh, played receiver. It came out of Clemson, slot receiver. 
And so it was a run play where he winds up actually, you know, getting right here in my breastplate where you're taught to win it as a DB or as a receiver. Whoever gets right in here, that's who controls the opponent. And he got right inside my chest. And so because he's right here, he's driving me all around the football field while the running back is running. And I can't get off him because, A, he's got the position on me. B, I got a cast on my right hand, so I can't even really grip him. And so after that, and so I think that, it happened one time, and then we're just kind of jawjacking, you know, after the play. He does it a second time. And this is just me just being frustrated because he's whooping my ass. <laughs> and so and so uh, after the play, I forget. He says something. I forget what he says. And, uh, and I head And the ref happened to be right there. And so then I see the ref. He goes over to uh, he goes over to uh, to the other ref. He says, yeah, 26 is out. And I'm like, nah, he probably just talked. And so, like, then they come back, like, uh, personal foul on the Oakland Raiders, number 26. He's been disqualified. And I'm just like, I don't even know what to do because I've never been rejected before. And so, like, I'm, and so I'm literally like walking off the field to the locker room, not the sideline, to the locker room. Uh, and that was maybe mid second quarter. So I watched the rest of the game from the locker room. Uh, that was the only time I ever been ejected. So yeah, that was a a different experience that uh that I had, and probably in my opinion, what felt the coldest uh, that I've ever played in. But does the ball feel like a rock? I remember one time I was working uh, James Washington, former uh, Dallas Cowboys uh, secondary, mm-hmm. played in the secondary safety. He said he said he was so cold one time playing in New York. He went to deflect a pass, and it, it passed and hit his hands. He hit his hand that hard, but he said it was so cold he thought he broke all four fingers. <laughs> so is it how bad? I mean, how difficult is is it to catch a pass in that kind in that kind of cold? I mean, yeah, like it's definitely not easy. You know, I think uh, once you really get in those cold weather states, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Minnesota, Michigan, whatever, yeah, the ball gets hard. It gets hard, and then you know, especially if you got somebody like Brett Favre a big strong arm quarterback who's also throwing it like a rifle. Yes. That ball feels like a rock whenever it hits you. Yes. All right. Well, uh, staying with the Raiders defense, uh, cornerback Rocky scene has officially been rolled out. He's missing his third straight game. You know what, Stan, I was looking at the numbers, the Raiders, uh, they've won four or five. Uh, the lone loss was to the LA Rams. And Stan, yeah. the, the defense has actually gotten better over those five games. They're only allowing 19 points a game, which is a far cry from, earlier in the season but i think yes if you look at it though stan they're having breakdowns still in the fourth quarter the rams yep. gave a back-to-back touchdowns on the final two drives the patriots uh they allowed them to score the go-ahead touchdown at that point so what one what do you think the biggest reason for the improvement is but two why do you still think they're having these late game breakdowns because i think they still have the same issues i think that when you really look at who the oakland i'm sorry the las vegas red you can say beaten over, <laughs> over the last over the last several games you look and they're still beating teams that are not exactly playing great football right now. They're not beating the top teams in the league. So, hey, listen, a win is a win. You still take the win. But if you're really going to break it down, the defense has been playing better. But I'm not sure that the defense has really gotten better or they're simply going against mediocre teams, and that's why they're looking better. But nonetheless, I'm still going to take a victory any way it comes. But to answer your question, I think that they still have the same mistakes. You still see the same hiccups in the fourth quarter as you saw early on in the season. I just think that right now they're going against teams that 
are also shooting themselves in the foot as we saw the final play against the New England Patriots versus teams that are buttoned up and that are doing things the right way and knowing how to close out games. Okay, from an offensive perspective now, playing in that weather, do you consider you think the Raiders then will continue to pound the rock with Josh Jacobs, yes. run a lot of play-action yes. pass, and hopefully that Renfro and Waller can continue to get up to speed? Yes, got to go ahead and continue to pound Josh Jacobs, another Pro Bowl uh, selection for him to add to his repertoire. I think that obviously, you know, the Las Vegas Raiders need to pay him. If they don't, hopefully somebody will. Uh, but, yeah, you got to go ahead and lean on that guy just because, I mean, do you want T.J. Watch pin, pin his ears back? No. Against uh, Derek Hart? No. I want to? So I think that uh, <laughs> they need to go ahead and lean on the run game again. Obviously, you've got Darren Waller. Obviously, you got Devontae Adams. you got the other guys who are starting to come on and make some plays as well in the pass game. So you take the plays when they're there, but I think ultimately you got to go ahead and control the clock, lean on your bell horse. I'm sorry, lean on your bell cow uh, as you've been doing all year. Yeah, starting guards Alec Bars and uh, Dylan Parham are questionable to play. Uh, we're recording this on a Thursday night with the game on Saturday. Stan, is we always hear about dome teams not playing well uh, outside in cold weather. I, I don't know. Like, yeah, the Raiders are a dome team, but like you mentioned, they play in Denver. They play in Kansas yeah. City. How difficult is it? I mean, you played in Oakland. It doesn't get that cold there. How difficult is it to go into these cold weather venues and, and play and perform to the best of your ability? Well, I can tell you like this. You know, the, uh, the biggest thing is obviously, you know, you got the cold weather. That's something you really got to deal with. But, you know, because look at Chandler Jones, who's from the northeastern area, went to Syracuse. He's, he can handle cold. Max Crosby, where'd he go to school at? Eastern he's, Michigan. He's used to cold. So I think that uh, that right there is something that's arbitrary, to be honest with you. But I think what is something that's definite, definitive, is Las Vegas is in the Pacific time zone. Correct. Pittsburgh is in the Eastern time zone. Correct. What time is kickoff? 8.15 Eastern. Say that again? 8.15 Eastern. And so and so, just off of that alone, the time difference, that's something that a lot of players, it takes them more time to go ahead and get acclimated to something like that, I think, versus just it in cold and you being a dome team or you being a team that's in a warm weather climate because you may be from a cold weather climate originally. Man, went to college in a cold weather climate. So to me, I think the weather, it can be arbitrary, but that time zone difference, that flight, that's something that everybody has to go ahead and find a way to overcome. I used to think that was a myth of West Coast teams going to back east and starting at one o'clock and oh, the early time start and all that. It's yeah. only 10 a.m. Oh, yeah, I used to think it was a myth. And I talked to a lot of players and I'm like, oh no, that's no myth. It takes your body. Uh, yeah. an adjustment there's an adjustment period and it very really is so. real and i never thought that, i was just thought that was a myth but i've talked to enough players to say oh no yeah. it's real it's very oh, very yeah. real yeah the time zone difference man that thing that thing is so it's so different now, i say that because being on the west coast and you're going let's say play the baltimore Ravens, the buffalo Bills, something like that and i remember even back in 2011 we put, we opened up on monday night football against the denver broncos mm -hmm, up there that. and it was at, it was called in besco field at the time and obviously mile high dealing with the altitude that was monday night we then fly back to oakland get in about maybe one two o'clock in the morning something like that so monday is already gone so now you're off tuesday wednesday practice thursday practice friday practice and boom get on a flight and go all the way to buffalo so that's three different time zones and guess what time the game started on sunday one o'clock eastern which is 10 o'clock west coast time so you know just off of that alone 
the the time difference, that flight, being jet lagged, things like that, that plays a big part, especially in those early Sunday games, those early windows for a West Coast team where it's 10 o'clock where they're in their mind, or should I say their body, and they got to get out there and uh, and rev everything up. Hey, Danny mentioned this earlier. Josh Jacobs voted to the Pro Bowl along with uh, Devontae Adams, uh, yeah. Max Crosby as well. All three very well deserving. Let me ask you this, Dan. Does being selected to the Pro Bowl still mean what it once did with the way the game had deteriorated and now they're completely changing the format this year? Yes, absolutely. Like you look at guys like Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, where there would be years where they didn't even play in the Pro Bowl, but you still want to be selected. You still want to be recognized as a top player at your position within your respective conference. So, yeah, it's something that's been watered down as far as the actual game itself. But from the actual selection, being recognized as one of the top players in your conference, no, that's something that's never going to go away. Players are still going to hold that in high regard because that also plays a big difference. It plays a big part whenever it comes to contract time as you're going to see with Josh Jacobs going forward with the Las Vegas Raiders. So, no, that's something that players will always hold high premium over, always. All right, Stan, I got to ask you this because my friend Bill uh, in Los Angeles, he texts me this every Sunday, and he's like, what are we going to do about delay of game penalty? Because it always says the clock, the play clock reads zero. The team has it snapped it. There's no penalty flag. The team snaps it, and they run the play, and there should have been a delay of game. Is there anything we could do? Can we buzz down to the ref from up above, from a ref in the press box down to the ref on the field? And by the way, Stan, first of all, who who watches the play clock? Who's, whose job is that with the referee group? As far uh I believe it is whoever's behind. Is the it the umpire? Uh, I think it's, yeah, I think it's the umpire. I think it's the umpire. Uh, and so the thing is, this is what they don't say out loud. Okay. But referees, what happens is, the referee is going to be watching the play clock. He's going to watch the play clock. It's going to go to double zero, and then he's going to look at the quarterback. So there's about a there's about a 1.2 second difference as far as little grace period where they'll give that quarterback about one second, about one one thousand after the play clock is going down to zero to go ahead and snap the ball. So that's why when you ask about the buzzer and things like that, that's why that is because there's a split second that they got to go from the double zero on the clock, then they look at the quarterback. So within that second, they'll give you that little bit of grace period to go ahead and get that snap off. Dan, if you're getting a delay game penalty, then after finding out that, man, you're really screwed up because that's either like a 42-second play clock then or – Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, so really it's more of a 41.5 second play clock because they have to literally go from the double zero, watch it go to double zero. Then they have to go to the quarterback. So in that 1.5 seconds right there, they're giving you a little bit of extra time. Yeah. All right, Stan, you're in Shreveport as your Houston Cougars set to play in the set to play the Louisiana Raging Cajuns in the. Uh, let me get this bowl game correct. I know it is the Radiant Technologies Independence Bowl. Yes. Good swag, Stan? Say that again? Good swag? Do they give you good? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, you know, we're out in Shreveport, Louisiana. It's cold. I'm not going to lie to you about that. It's probably going to be maybe 15 degrees of kickoff 
But uh, but definitely, like I said, you know, uh, it's going to be a fun game to watch. I think uh, the uh, I think the Cougars are going to be able to go ahead and come out and uh, be victorious in the game. I think it's going to be very interesting because, like I said, you got the Raging Cajuns. They got a good football team. Obviously, they didn't have as good of a year as they have years past, but they still got uh, a lot of hell of a good players. So I think that uh, it's going to be a very interesting game tomorrow, two o'clock uh, in the afternoon. All right. Best of luck to you and the Cougars tomorrow against the Raging Cajuns. Finally, Stan, uh, prediction time. Raiders, Steelers, Saturday night, Christmas Eve. Uh, you mean uh, Christmas Eve dinner watching football? Man, man. you know, I, the Raiders beat the Patriots, which obviously, because they don't have Tom Brady, they're not the Goliath of right. the NFL anymore, but I think their name is still something that really holds a lot of weight within a lot of players' minds. So I think that's going to be big for their confidence. So I'm picking the Raiders to come out victorious. Let's say 23, let's say 23-20. You know, I feel like the Raiders have momentum. They won four or five stand, but I almost feel like this is last year after John Madden died. The Raiders went on that run. I'm like, oh, man, the Steelers going to be emotional after losing Franco Harris, the Immaculate Reception anniversary. They're going to retire his jersey. You know, is that crowd just going to, you know, be in a buzz over this? So, I, you know, last week I thought I couldn't make a prediction. I said 24-21. I didn't know if the Raiders or the Steelers. I'll, I'll ride the Raiders one more time. I think it's another close game, Stan. I mean, the, the Raiders just play one-score one, one score games. That's all they do. So I'll, I'll go Raiders maybe 20-17, maybe 23-20, and hopefully they can pick up their seventh one of the season and uh, Raider Nation get an early Christmas present and uh, go into Sunday and on uh, Christmas Day and be happy with the Raider victory underneath the tree. Let's hope. Let's hope. <laughs> Hey, partner, happy uh, Merry Christmas to you and the family. Yes, man, same to you. Have fun out there. Be safe. And, uh, man, can't wait to get back on with you next week. Absolutely. Raider Nation, Merry Christmas to all of you. And that's going to do it for another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast presented by BetOnline.ag. For my partner, Stanford Rout, I'm Dennis Ackerman. Thanks so much for listening. And may all your punts find the coffin corner. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.